back to the Evidence-Based Rheumatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 84, The Jack Apocalypse, also known as Cardiovascular and Cancer Risk with Tofacitinib in Rheumatoid Arthritis by the Oral Surveillance Investigators. This was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in January of 2022. Very little background is needed for this study because it has been much awaited by rheumatologists and other folks who use Janus kinase inhibitors. This has been a long time in the making. During the development program for the Janus kinase inhibitor tofacitinib, there was a risk of cancers that was observed, and there was an increase in serum lipid levels. Consequently, the FDA required a prospective head-to-head safety trial comparing tofacitinib with TNF inhibitors. I think this is an amazing thing that the FDA did. I wish they did more of it, and we actually have some papers on that coming out in the near future. To satisfy these requirements, uh, the study sponsor enrolled patients with active rheumatoid arthritis, despite methotrexate treatment, who were 50 years of age or older and had at least one cardiovascular risk factor, defined as things like hypertension, low HDL, etc., um, into this open-label non-inferiority phase 3B-4 safety endpoint trial. Excellent. Patients were excluded if they had previous cancer. And they were randomized in a one-to-one-to-one ratio to receive either open-label oral tofacitinib at a dose of 5 milligrams, open-label oral tofacitinib at a dose of 10 milligrams, which I'm not going to talk about anymore because I don't use it as a rheumatologist, or a subcutaneous TNF inhibitor, either adalimumab or etanercept. First patient was enrolled in March of 2014 and the last one in March of 2019. So this has been a long time coming. But in the latter stages of the trial, there was a safety signal for venous thromboembolism, which kind of confirmed a similar signal that we'd seen in the baricitinib development program, and that put the initial kibosh on a lot of people prescribing this. And then there was a signal towards a higher mortality. The FDA and EMA both issued warnings when this happened, and amendments were made to the black box for both drugs. So needless to say, this was already on our radar as a potential problem. The co-primary endpoints, so there are two primary endpoints to investigate both safety signals, were MACE, or major adverse cardiac events, which included death from cardiovascular causes, non-fatal MI, and non-fatal stroke, as well as cancers, which excluded non-melanoma skin cancer. They did include some secondary endpoints, such as the um, uh, SDI and HACDI, so kind of some interesting safety and uh, efficacy data included in this study, but ultimately that's not the headlines, and I won't get too far into that. The statistical approach here was interesting. Now, this was a non-inferiority study. They were aiming not to necessarily show that Janus kinase inhibitors had a higher risk or a lower risk. They were trying to show that Janus kinase inhibitors had the same risk as a TNF inhibitor. Consequently, they calculated about 4,000 patients with 1,500 or more completing at least three years of follow-up would give them a larger, large enough sample size to meet or not meet their non-inferiority margins. For a number of complicated reasons, this was set at 1.8 for a hazard ratio um, in the combined gen group versus TNFs, which I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. A hazard ratio of 1.8 is kind of on the high side, but this was for the upper bound of risk, not the actual risk itself. So I, I think at the end of the day, that feels about right to me. And ultimately, I think that it was probably about the right number. The number needed to harm was also calculated, which I like. With that, let's talk about the trial. It was conducted at 323 sites in 30 countries. There were 4,362 people who underwent randomization. That is really a large number of patients and a very, very impressive uh, amount to follow up. Median follow up was 4.0 years, and patients looked about like your normal rheumatoid arthritis patient for the most part. The mean age was 61 years. Um, most patients were female, 78%. 
Unfortunately, this was a uh, white predominant study. There were 77% of patients who were white. So there's an underrepresentation of patients who are black, Asian, and other ethnicities. Uh, there is a relatively high rate of ever smokers, so 48%. Part of this is because the trial was enriched for people with cardiovascular disease, which also resulted in there being more diabetes, so 17%, and more coronary heart disease, so 11%. So overall, for me, I think this is pretty fair. I wish that this was a more representative study, but I say that about most randomized controlled trials, so that isn't particularly unique to this one. They had a number of secondary analyses, but um, we will get into all of those when we talk about the results. So for the results, I mean, it's relatively straightforward. For tofacitinib, 5 milligrams twice daily versus TNF inhibitors. The hazard ratio for MACE, or major adverse cardiac event, was 1.24 with the lower limit of 0.81 and the upper limit of 1.91. So your first inclination would be to say that's not statistically significantly different. The design of this trial and the primary endpoint was whether or not it passed that upper limit margin of 1.80. It did. So the non-inferiority margin was surpassed technically for the combined dose, but whatever. And unfortunately, Janus kinase inhibitors here did not pass the bar that we set. As far as actual events, there are 47 events in the TOFA 5 group versus 37 in the TNF group out of about 1,400 people. So not that different. The absolute rate difference was 3.2% versus 2.5%. It's a small numeric difference. But if you stretch that out over an entire year, you see a number needed to harm of 567 or a number needed to harm over five years of 113. So over a five-year time period, the decision to give someone a JAK inhibitor over a TNF inhibitor, if you do that 113 times, you'd be expected to see one adverse event in the MACE category. That, that, that's a small risk, and the number needed to harm isn't like exactly the best way to talk about this, but I mean, it's there, and it's real. Next, let's cover cancers. The way this was assessed was cancers overall, excluding non-melanoma skin cancer. So kind of a weird way to think about this, but so we're looking at cancers except for non-melanoma skin cancer. For TOFA 5 milligrams versus TNF, the hazard ratio is 1.47. 1.0 to 2.18 was the confidence interval. So that, again, passed the non-inferiority margin. Again, technically for the combined dose, but whatever. 5 milligrams looks like there is possibly an elevated rate. In absolute terms, this was relatively small. 62 events versus 42 events, or 4.3% versus 2.9% for TNFs. So only a couple percent absolute difference but it did look real to me. The number needed to harm was 276 over one year, but for five patient years, the number needed to harm was 55. That is, again, a somewhat small number, but boy, that is certainly in the range where I could see this influencing prescribing behavior. Moving on, the plot thickens. So as far as serious adverse events for tofacitinib, the absolute rate was 24% versus 21% in the TNF inhibitors, so a higher rate of serious adverse events. This was driven by a number of different things. Uh, one was opportunistic infections, so 1.8, uh, with a hazard ratio of 1.07 to 3.09 for the tofacitinib 5 group. Uh, herpes zoster was 3.3, so elevated as well. And the adjudicated non-melanoma skin cancers, so this was also 1.9. So we have a number of different things that were different between the groups that seemed to favor TNF inhibitors as far as safety is concerned. Now, ultimately, there's a number of reasons that we shouldn't give up entirely on this class of medications. You know, when you're trying to think of how this study could possibly have been biased, it was open label, which is interesting. I mean, patients were aware of what they were looking for. It's possible that there was some ascertainment difference between the groups, but this was an RCT. Ascertainment should have been about the same, and it was a protocolized thing in the study. So I, I, I don't totally buy that. Another possibility, I think this is a really interesting one, is the same concern I had about the Fabusistat versus allopurinol study. 
the CARES trial. Now, in the CARES trial, it looked like allopurinol had a lower rate of cardiovascular risk than Euloric. But there's a caveat there, which is that we don't know what someone who didn't get either would have had. I think the same is true here. So a patient who had a TNF inhibitor seemed to have a lower rate of MACE and a lower rate of non-melanoma skin cancer. But what if they hadn't received anything? I, I kind of suspect, is the problem that JAKs are causing cancer and cardiovascular disease? Or is the problem that TNFs are preventing cancer and preventing cardiovascular disease and JAKs just aren't doing it well enough? I think this is a very valid concern, especially when the risk is this small. And last but not least, tofacitinib is relatively selective for JAK1 and 3. It kind of bleeds over a little into JAK2. But what about the selective Janus kinase inhibitors? They do have a slightly different mechanism. What about the tick inhibitors? Is this a class effect, or could this be an idiosyncratic thing that affects tofacitinib? Truthfully, I am strongly on the camp that for a safety signal like this, you should consider it a class effect until proven otherwise. I have said repeatedly that the owners of Janus kinase inhibitors, such as baricitinib, filgotinib, and upadacitinib, ought to be running an identical large phase four trial if they want to clear their names of guilt here. None of them seem like they're inclined to do that, and I don't expect any of those trials to be run. On the contrary, I expect a lot of people to favor those drugs over this one because there will be an absence of this risk in those drug classes. I could see why someone would do that. I have kind of done that myself a little bit, but oh boy, is that just not supported by the data? And we really should be requiring all of these drug companies to run these trials before anyone uses that as a justification to use a different Janus kinase inhibitor. I don't think it's going to happen, but it should. What is the upshot of all this? You know, the first thing is that I have been telling all my patients who are on one of these drugs, any Janus kinase inhibitor, that this is a risk. I say that the risk is small, but it is real. And I have been leaving it up to patients. I think this is a shared decision-making opportunity where if a patient says, I want to switch drugs, then I, of course, offer that. And I go through the options that we could try it instead. Now, for some patients, there's not a lot of options, and many of them may like to stay on. And some patients may plausibly prefer the oral delivery or just being in remission and won't want to switch off of a JAK inhibitor, which seems totally reasonable to me based on these data. I personally don't know where I would fall where I in their shoes, and I think that there's a lot of latitude here for patient preference. So I spent a lot of time trying to elicit people's values when talking about this. The other thing is that I think that risk stratification is important. This trial was run on folks who were older and who had cardiovascular comorbidities. I think they're the ones who are most likely to experience any of these adverse events. And so I could see a model where people prescribe preferentially to some group. Now, the flip side of this, though, is does that mean that you're going to start drugs that may be associated with cancer and younger patients who have a theoretically much longer time to accrue that potential risk? I mean, there's no real good answer there, right? Last but not least, I think that this is a place where real-world data could be really useful. This drug did not explicitly include people who were younger or people who had a lower risk of cancer or a lower risk of adverse cardiac events, and I think it would be great to see some real-world data to tell us about how this looks in that population. This is what you call foreshadowing because I'm hoping to cover some of that data on a future episode. At the end of the day, I think that the coming revolution of JAK inhibitors where all patients with RA were started on this lovely oral monolecule and no one needed to inject themselves anymore is not going to come. After seeing this, I think that TNF inhibitors remain the first-line therapy after failure of methotrexate, and I think that that will continue to be the case uh, for some time to come. I do think there's a strong role for patient preference, and these risks in absolute terms are somewhat small, so I think it's very reasonable for people to go with a jack and this kind of inhibitor first, provided that they know these data. So be sure you are talking about people and adequately informing them for in shared decision-making process. That is it for this week. 
I hope that was interesting. This has been a very important study that has changed a lot of our practices right away. And I think that is great that the FDA required this. These are the kind of data we need to be generating. And this is the kind of data that I hope we continue to generate in the future. Thanks so much for tuning in and have a great week. <laughs>